Welcome to this podcast. My name is Angelica and I'm a relationship coach and also a belief change coach. And I'm the host of Discover the Hidden Potential of Your Mind. On this podcast channel, I discuss different life, health and relationship topics. Or you can join me for a brief meditation. And today's topic is, do you trust me? Because one of the topics which frequently comes up when we talk about relationships is trust. And when we watch movies, they make it sound so easy, don't they? The hero at one point asks, do you trust me? And his love interest is supposed to unquestionably follow him filled with trust. She somehow knows she can trust him. For example, thinking of a Disney movie, Aladdin, that has that famous scene where Jasmine inquires if a magic carpet is safe and Aladdin responds with a question, do you trust me? And Jasmine is surprised. She says, what? And he repeats the question, do you trust me? And at that moment, she looks up at him and just firmly replies, yes. So Princess Jasmine has never gone for a ride on a magic carpet, nor does she know Aladdin. So her reaction is based on some sort of a gut feeling. And Hollywood wants us to believe that trust is this easy and straightforward to achieve. Now, is that really true? As a relationship coach, I'm curious where and how we place our trust. And there's an author who is a trust expert. Her name is Rachel Botsman. And Rachel Botsman points out how in the past trust used to flow upwards in our society by us placing trust in the people in power. I think you would agree with that, right? And she also says that today trust flows sideways through our social networks. Very interesting, right? Sideways means to our colleagues, friends, neighbors, and social networks like that, including strangers. In today's world, we have lost faith in institutions, in bankers, in leaders of any kind, whether they're political leaders, economic or spiritual leaders. But does this mean that we're less trusting than we used to be? Botsman says that the contrary is the case. While we're mistrustful of authorities and institutions, we're meanwhile placing our trust in our peers, including strangers on the internet or in technology itself. I don't know if you've ever considered how much trust is involved when we're renting our home out to an unknown guest through Airbnb. Or we're going on blind dates with people we've met on dating sites. We're exchanging our currency digitally and so on. There's a lot of trust in all these interactions. And here's another one that actually still floors me each time it happens. Our smartphones or the apps on those phones ask us on a regular basis for access to almost our entire life. The app wants access to our location, our photos, our microphone, our contacts and so on. And we trust that that's okay. And of course, as humans, we're interdependent. We cannot live life without making choices on who to trust. We have to trust somebody. But the mistrust towards anybody or anything which has a monopoly of power can be a good thing if it leads to the empowerment of the individual. The question is, though, 
how the void of not trusting who we used to trust in the past is filled today. And I do believe that it's keeping us safer to be more aware of the abuse of power, especially where there's perhaps a money trail. So I'm all for being educated and, for example, reading the ingredient labels of the food that we consume or the cosmetic products we use, reading them very carefully and knowing what we what we use or researching the vaccine your child is about to receive or certainly being cautious when it comes to politicians because, of course, um, if there's any hint of corruption, we probably shouldn't trust. At the same time, we often seem to be very trusting when it comes to the convenience of technology. But all that aside, as a relationship coach, I'm especially interested in how trust shows up in our one-on-one -on -one relationships, especially in our primary love relationship. What components does trust have and how do these components affect our relationships? So first of all, trust is a process. Trusting means placing our faith or confidence in something unknown. That could be a person, a new idea, a new product and so on. And there usually is a gap between what we know and what we don't know. And we talk about taking a risk when it comes to this gap. Because if I trust, because I feel I can predict or even be certain how the other person is going to behave, that's not really trust. Having trust is the confidence in what we're not certain about. And life can hold some unpredictable magic carpet rights for us, can't it? Trust is about being vulnerable because we cannot be sure what's going to happen tomorrow, yet we need to approach life with some trust in order to live. And when it comes to relationships, when we, for example, get married or start a committed relationship, we cannot ensure what will happen tomorrow. We won't, for example, know that we're still together 20 years later, let's say. All we can do is to decide to do our best and trust our partner to do the same. However, during a relationship, trust is in a constant flow It must be maintained while we interact with each other. There's a process there. And there are certain issues that come to play when we're looking at trust. One real problem is poor information. From a lack of information, we often make assumptions and end up with unrealistic expectations. So the question when it comes to relationships is, have we had those tough conversations before starting that relationship. Conversations about common future goals, about common values, perhaps if we're young about having and raising children or about money and about other major topics which tend to lead to perpetual problems for many couples. It is, you would probably agree, of great importance to have real conversations in which we are transparent and upfront about our expectations. But in this beginning stage, that honeymoon stage or euphoria of being in love, we might skip those very important conversations that could provide us with necessary information. And we might end up in a relationship and realize that there are trust issues 
due to not having gathered that necessary information. It was available, but we never bothered to ask and to assess whether this is a good match. Rachel Botsman, Botmans is actually her name, feels it's helpful to think of trust in context. And I would agree with her. And it's actually an interesting way of looking at trust because we can't generally say, I trust this person or I don't trust this person. That trust is always in a certain context. So let me explain what I mean. If you are my friend, you might, for example, trust me to take care of your child because you believe I'm a capable mother. But you might not trust me to fix your computer or to cook your five-course meal because, you know, I don't know how to do that. I'm not competent to do either of those two things. However, this perceived competency is only one aspect of trust. There's actually four key factors, four ingredients of trustworthiness. The first one is competence. So that goes to the skills, the knowledge, the experience we have. So again, let's assume you're my neighbor or friend. And you know, I used to be an elementary school teacher, which is actually true. And that I have raised my own children and those children appear to be well adjusted and have a good relationship with me. So you see all these points of competency and therefore you might trust me to look after your child because you feel I'm competent as a caregiver. You do, however, not trust me to solve your computer issue because you know I neither have the skills or the knowledge or the patience required to do this. So applied to a love relationship, this might mean that you perhaps trust your partner to, let's say, drive you somewhere because you know he or she hasn't had an accident in 25 years and therefore you believe that your partner is a good, calm driver that you can trust. At the same time, you don't trust him or her to balance the household budget because he or she never learned the skill of making ends meet. Perhaps you've always done that for both of you. The second aspect or key ingredient to trustworthiness is actually reliability. That means responding in a timely manner. If you call me to ask if I could watch your child, but I don't respond appropriately within a reasonable time frame to your request, you will lose trust in me despite my competence. So the same applies to your partnership. If you have asked your partner to pay the bills, but he procrastinates or she, and he or she only pays the bills after you had to remind them three more times and after the bills are passed due, you also won't trust their financial competency due to the lack of reliability. reliability. Meanwhile, You might experience that you only had to ask your partner once if he or she could drive you to a doctor's appointment and you feel you can rely on them for driving you. You trust in that respect. You don't trust that he or she is reliable as far as paying the bills is concerned. The third ingredient of of, um, trust is benevolence. 
we also check how much we have a person cares. So if you're my neighbor who's trying to decide if I'm a trustworthy person to watch your child and you have the impression that I like your child, I've learned their name and at least some details about them and I've indicated in the past that I care about you and your family, your trust in me as your child's caregiver is also going to be higher. So to stick with our financial example in the partnership, if you feel your partner cares about money, he or she is perhaps asking for help with financial matters and he or she is trying hard to balance the budget or pay the bills or save money, you will trust them more than when you are under the impression that they don't care about money. The same would apply to driving you if you feel he or she cares about getting you somewhere safely where you need to go. You trust them as far as the driving is concerned. Now, the fourth ingredient is actually more important than any of the other three key components. More important than honesty or authenticity are our intentions. So that goes towards our integrity. If there's a misalignment regarding our intentions and the other person's intentions, it also feels like the other one is not trustworthy. If you, as my neighbor, feel I'm watching your child because I want something from you, let's say I'm expecting you to, in return, vote for me in the next condo board president election, you will lose trust in me, independent of my competence, reliability or benevolence. The same applies to your partnership. If the goal of future safety is high on your list of values, and let's say having fun in the moment is lower on your priority list, but your partner's value system is opposite, you're dealing with a mismatch. Your partner's intentions of living well in the present clashes with your intentions of creating financial safety in the future. And that gap in intentions or expectations makes your partner untrustworthy in regards to financial matters. So knowing those four ingredients of trustworthiness, we end up with a different level of trust in each relationship. We trust other people more or less in different areas. However, in our love relationship, we of course have principal areas in which we want to experience being able to trust. And we can increase the trust in our relationships by working on those four key components. Our competence, our reliability, our benevolence, and last but not least, that integrity piece. So by being clear about our intentions and value systems, open and honest conversations about values and priorities, combined with the willingness to meet each other's needs, that increases the trust in a relationship. And one way of having successful conversations about feelings and needs is the nonviolent communication system founded by Marshall Rosenberg. If you want to find out more about that topic, you can search for nonviolent communication on my website. I've written several articles with examples on that topic. And my website is greendoorrelaxation.net. And if you would like to contact me for a coaching session, again, my name is Angelica. You can call me 905-286-9466. I'm located in the greater Toronto area, but I also work over Skype 
or you can email me to greendoorrelaxation at yahoo.ca. I hope you have a fabulous day.